Good morning, Redeemer. So great being with you. Whether you're here with us in person or joining us online, welcome again in the name of Jesus Christ, our great King. We come to a turning point this morning in the narrative of Exodus. The early chapters uh, tell us about God hearing the burdens of His people, about God hearing their groanings and their distress, and God coming to be with them in that and to begin to bring deliverance to them. But now we turn a corner, the people have passed over out of Egypt, and now they're beginning a journey from the wilderness to the promised land, and God is with them in these journeys to lead them, to bless them, particularly we see to defeat their enemies, to deal with their enemies, to deal with our enemies as we journey toward new heavens and new earth. So this is the very famous story of the Red Sea crossing, Exodus 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Hi-Hiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pehi-Hiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. 
And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them and in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. <clears throat> and the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back on the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord God, you are indeed the great King, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you are the one who wins over our and your enemies. You are the one who deals with our enemies and gives us new life in you. Lord, today we pray that for the first time or in a new and deeper way, we would stand and gaze and see the salvation of our God, that we would fear you anew, that we would believe in you anew and trust you anew, that we would walk on new ground, on dry ground, that you give us the life of your new creation. We pray it all, Jesus, in your name and for your name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, congratulations to the Houston Texans on their great win yesterday, and they go forward in the playoffs, and we're hoping good things for the Cowboys today. Uh, on a text thread on someone who will remain nameless on our staff, they said, please pray in church today for the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> to break their playoff problems. I'm not going to say who it is. They're in here, and they're sitting near the front. You can figure that out. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, for a lot of you are bound up in that. I get that, and I wish you well with all of that. Uh, basketball's going on, and maybe you're rooting for your favorite college team or the Spurs here. Uh, maybe you're watching your children and students play youth basketball. That's great. For me, the calendar has flipped over, and I am ready for baseball. It's only uh, less than a month, really, before pitchers and catchers report to spring training. I am a baseball person, and I really got that 
from my dad. And my dad loved baseball and he loved, you know, all these old baseball sayings. He would just trot them out. You know, a left-handed pitcher was a southpaw or a port cider. Um, a double play was a twin killing or two for the price of one or a pitcher's best friend. Um, he would say of a batter who had a good eye at the plate, that's an eye like a hawk, you know? I remember my dad saying that to me in Little League when I could draw a walk. If all the way up through playing in college, whether there were 10 people there or 1,000 people there, I could hear my dad say, I like a hawk, son. Love to say that. He would explain to me about how as the summer began and Memorial Day weekend came, how that was the first key turning point in the season. Well, we've come to the first key turning point in Exodus here. We're moving, as we said, as we introduced the text, from the space in which God is hearing of the people's needs to his delivering them out of Egypt. And now he begins to journey with them into the wilderness, taking them toward the promised land. He is with the people in their journey. But it's an odd sort of beginning right here to this journey. Instead of God taking them the short way from Goshen and Egypt right around the coast of the Mediterranean Sea when there was no Suez Canal there, right, to block their path, they could have gone straight across by uh, the Mediterranean Sea and on into the land of Canaan. Uh, it was a well-known highway even. God says, no, I'm not going to take you the straight way, the easy way, the, the freeway, if you will. I'm going to ask you to go sort of detour and wander into the wilderness, and he takes them down right away into the wilderness of Sinai and has them go down toward the tip, and then they begin to journey back up so that they can go around sort of the Red Sea and, and into the land of promise when God says, no, I want you to turn back. I want you to turn back to this space between Migdal and Pei-Hi-Hiroth, and I want you to camp right up against the seacoast in a place where you are hemmed in. If the enemies come against you, you'll be pinned between a rock and a hard place. God does that. Strangely, he does that for Israel. He does that for us, doesn't he? he as he journeys with us, he will hem us in, as you will. He, he will take us to hard places where we're sort of pinned in between a rock in a hard place. We may say to God, you want me to turn back to this spot where there's this disease, this pain, this loneliness, this family brokenness, this struggle with my children or with my parents? You want me to turn back to this kind of place in society where there is still so much oppression and violence and racism that we celebrate a weekend in the hope of moving away from racism? You want me to turn back there, God, and camp there? And God says, yes, right there. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, oh Lord, you know my ways. You've declared them all before they come to be. You've written them all in your book before one of them comes to pass. You hem me in behind and before. God's in the business of doing that. Well, that's all well and good, right? Okay, so we learned that God says earlier in a chapter and back in 13 that I'm not taking you by the straight shot, by the freeway, so that you will not have to encounter 
the enemies, the Philistines who were there, and maybe you'll encounter an early battle when you're turned back in fear. We can say, okay, that's good, that makes sense. But here's where things get more complicated. God has them pinned up there against the coast, and then God sends the enemies after them. God not only hems them in, God presses their enemies after them. What do the verses say? Verse 4, God is sort of musing. We're taking into the mind of God, and Moses records this for us, and God says, you know, Pharaoh, I'm going to get him to think. He's going to think he's got you trapped here, and he's going to come after you, and I will harden his heart to cause him to come after you. Verse 4. Verse 8 tells us that this is exactly what happens, that God does harden Pharaoh's heart and presses him and these 600 chariots and all of the rest of the chariots and all of the army of Egypt to come after them. Verse 17 says, in fact, that God hardens the hearts of all the Egyptian army to go in after Israel. Wow. Let's take a step back and think about some things we know about Pharaoh and we know about his might in Exodus so far to help us process this. Remember, two important truths we've learned about Pharaoh. Number one is that throughout the plagues, right, that Matt led us through last Sunday, taking us through beautifully in one message, all those plagues, right, God says over and over and over through Exodus to us, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh kept the people from going and leaving, right? But in certain places, who are sprinkled in along the way, and now here at the end of this journey in dealing with Pharaoh, it's explicitly said and continually said, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And so Pharaoh is doing the evil that he wants to do, Pharaoh is causing the enmity he wants to cause against God and his people, but God is ultimately behind it and over it and even causing it to come to be. The second thing about Pharaoh is, as we've seen, is he's a placeholder really for all kinds of evil and for the evil one himself. The New Testament plays this out over and over again and saying, you know, your real enemies are the world and the flesh and the devil. Underneath all the other enemies that you're dealing with, disease and poverty and oppression and hopelessness and despair and economic challenge, right? Underneath all these things are this triad of enemies, the world, the system of brokenness against God that rages against God where we started today, your flesh, your sort of old way of life before you knew God that sort of hangs on to you and is still around in you, and the devil himself, they are your real enemies. And Pharaoh is kind of a placeholder that pictures them and captures them. Richard Pratt said, we quoted him before, right? Old Testament scholar talks about the early chapters of Exodus being a kind of political cartoon and Pharaoh's a stand-in for evil and the evil one and God wins victory there time and time again with the midwives and with Moses surviving through the Nile River and in the basket and all the way through the plagues and the Passover. But now here we come and God is sending 
this one who stands for all of his enemies after his people. So who are your enemies today? You know, I'm reminded of, I I love, love, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I love the newer Sherlock Holmes series in the BBC, you know, that has Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock and, and, uh, and, and um, Freeman as, uh, you know, Martin Freeman as, uh, you know, the, the, Watson, and I love where Watson sort of says to him in the middle of things, like in one of the episodes, he says, Sherlock, I just don't get you at all. And who thinks he has arch enemies anyway, right? Well, you really do have arch enemies. You really, really do. They are the world and the flesh and the devil. You may think, well, these people don't like me. This situation is pressing me. I've got just this brokenness in my body or in my family system, underneath all of that are these enemies. And they press down on you. And at times, in places, God is just going to sort of hem you in and allow these things to come after you, even orchestrate things where they're coming after you. So you can do what? Stand and see the salvation of your God. What does God say? The people begin, they see the armies coming after them. This is the world's strongest army in the day. They see the chariots, hundreds of them, if not thousands of them, right? Coming after them, the army marching toward them. And the people are afraid. They start sort of spewing out their fears, right? Why did you bring us out here? Couldn't we have just died in Egypt? It would have been better for us if we just kept serving under the cruel taskmasters there, right? Just, we told you to leave us in Egypt. By the way, there's no record of that, but don't you say things like that all the time? I told you, just leave me alone. Why'd you do this, right? All that kind of stuff. And God says to Moses, fear not. Stand. Be quiet. And see the salvation of your God. See the salvation of your Lord. The beautiful thing in this story is which is at the center of this story, which is always at the center of every story in the Bible, is that God says, I'm going to bring two things together. They can be surprising, especially when you think that I, I not only allow you to be hemmed in, sometimes I allow the enemies to come after you and even sort of prod them to do so. But the surprising thing is I'm doing all of this, I'm funneling all of this to get to a place of two realities coming together. I will be glorified and you will be saved. As Psalm 50 says, call upon me, God says through the psalmist, in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and I will get the glory. You will be delivered and I will be glorified. See, Pharaoh thinks He's got them trapped. Pharaoh thinks he's the one going to put an ambush on Israel. And in reality, God is orchestrating things. So he is the one who's ambushed so that God is glorified in the defeat of these enemies and in the deliverance of his people. When you are hemmed in, when you are hard-pressed, 
when you feel like enemies are surrounding you and bearing down on you, when all you feel like you can do is sort of be afraid of these situations and people and circumstances, and all you can do is kind of murmur against God the way the people does, let this gospel come to you afresh and hear God saying to you even anew this morning, stand firm, be quiet, and see the salvation of your God. The cross works this way, right? It's an impossible situation. The very Son of God is hemmed in and pinned down and stretched out and lifted up. But in that very place, He is winning salvation for you and for me and for a whole world of people. And God is uniquely glorified, ultimately glorified, as the Son of God wins by losing, brings life by death, takes the judgment due us to give us forgiveness and life. God loves doing it this way. He is glorified this way. And we can stand and see it and rejoice. We can trade our fears and our murmurings for hope and trust and worship. It's interesting. There's more good news for Israel here, and it's unique again, right? So God says, now get going again. I am going to win this day for you, but Moses and the people get going. Moses, in my name, stretch out your hand over these waters, and I will cause a wind to blow all night long to spread these waters out so that you and the people can cross over on dry land. And God does something very unique. It's the only time, right, where we see that the cloud, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, right, is not out in front of them. The cloud moves to being behind them. There's an angel guarding their path, right? The angel of the Lord moves behind them to separate them from their enemies. This is the very middle of the night. The Egyptians are going to be destroyed in the first watch of the morning, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So all of this is happening right in the pitch black darkness of the second watch of the night, likely from 10 to 2. And it's dark and the light is now behind them and Israel is called to know God is behind you. God is saving you from these horrible enemies. But you step forward into the new ground that He gives you. Ground that may look dark. Ground that you may be afraid is murky or sticky or that would consume you. But you are in fact now on new dry ground. So much imagery here, right? Kind of takes us back to Genesis 1 of God creating things, separating the waters from the land and creating ground for people to live on and inhabit the earth and vegetation and animals and even humankind to inhabit, right? It's, it's language that reminds us of Noah and his ark of eight people passing through the waters and the floods come and the waters below and the waters above come together again and that God separates them and allows dry ground to come again and Noah and the eight in the ark have been baptized into a new world and they step out onto dry ground. It's even imagery as one Robert Alter talks about, Old Testament scholar talks about 
it's really imagery here of a birth canal of water's walls on the side and the people pass through to be birthed into a new existence. And it is our privilege in the gospel to know God has and God will defeat our enemies and we may walk through on new ground. Where, where does God want you to do that today? This week? This year? I love what Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther, there's a good quote from him in there, but there's a quote in the bulletin right from Martin Luther King in honor of this weekend that honors him that says, you know what? The call is in the name of Jesus to love, to love your enemies, to keep loving them. When you are afraid, you keep loving them. When they are overwhelmed with their own guilt, you keep loving them. When they rage out again at you, you keep loving them. And when you love in Jesus' name like this, change will come because this is Jesus' way. Where does God want you to step out and to space that can look dark or maybe feel like it will be murky and to trust him that dry ground will be there when you're loving like this in Jesus' name. You've been baptized. You've been brought across onto new ground. You're part of God's new creation. Where does God want you to step forward in those ways, those paths, in the hope and surety that your enemies will be defeated behind you. And that's where it all ends, right? Israel crosses over. They come out on the other side and they look behind them. And in that first watch of the morning, in the hours right before dawn, and as dawn is breaking, the Egyptians have come through after them. And God tells Moses, spread now your hand back over the waters. And the waters cover them up and they are restored, and the walls are broken down, and the Egyptians try to run backward, and in the middle of the sea, they are consumed and overwhelmed, and all Israel sees as their bodies floating up on the shore. What are the people privileged to do in that space? To begin to fear God and to believe in God in new ways. And that's my encouragement to you this morning. To fear God, to be in awe of Him. What did the people do after this event? They sang, gloriously has the Lord triumphed. He's triumphed over horse and rider. He's thrown them into the sea. Our God is the God of glory and victory. Your privilege is to fear Him, to be in awe of Him, to worship before Him. And to trust Him in new ways. To believe that if he has won victories like this, if he has won at the cross like this, he will most assuredly keep winning and bring you through and bless you as you walk on new dry ground in his new creation together with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this gospel that is so rich, so all this imagery here. We, we pray that we would just let this story sink in with us deep in our hearts and minds and souls, that we would know for the first time or afresh that 
you really are the God who is with us, who cares for us, who defeats our enemies and makes us a part of your new world. Lord, so may we fear you. May we trust you. May we give our whole selves over to you. Lord, please work in these ways for the first time in our lives or in a new way. And feed us now on your gospel of your table, O Lord, where life comes out of death there too, where strange new paths are forged for great blessing. We pray it all in your name, Lord Christ. Amen.